0: We're in part six of our series, A Doubter's Guide to the Bible, where we're taking a look at some of the most important stories and moments and also characters in the entire Bible. The opening point of the Bible, and we've been saying this right from word go, is this, that a good God created a good world in which he placed good people to do good work so that they could live the good life. Life, Everything was good. But there's also another truth to the biblical narrative. And that's the dark thread that now runs not only through the world, but through the very heart of humanity. And we've also been saying that because of that, that we are fundamentally glorious, and that's important to remember, but now because of that dark thread, we're also fundamentally wretched at the same time. But that is only a part of the biblical story. And this is where God intervenes and it's his desire to save rather than to destroy. And because of that, he chooses a series of individuals over time from whom would come, first of all, Abraham, um, to um, would come an entire nation. And this nation would be the vehicle of God's good intentions towards all nations. And so that's Abraham, and we've talked about Moses. And last week, we talked about Joshua. And from Joshua, we're going to take a look at the life of David. But before we do, before we do, for the 200 years after Joshua led... The Jewish people into the promised land, we need to understand that Israel was led by a series of judges, of leaders. Um, These people were generally wise and godly, but there are also some disasters thrown in there as well. And so we come to the end of the book of Judges with, with a sentence that kind of sums up the moral temperature of the country. Let's read Judges chapter 21 verse 25 before we move on and it says this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. I don't know about you, does that sound any good? Everyone did as they saw fit. And so Israel suffers for the lack of A leader. They needed somebody to handle, yes, their economic and military and domestic concerns, absolutely, but they needed someone also to act as their moral leader to guide them in the ways of the Lord. And so, entitled today: The Promise and Failure of King David, this is part six of our series, A Doubter's Guide to the bible so david the story begins around about the 11th the 11th century bc and of course we're introduced to a boy who becomes the king now to set the scene here we've got to understand where david and of course many others lived in a very 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 violent time and it's almost, I would say, impossible to kind of get our minds and our hearts around the kind of world that David lived in. And we're talking about ancient times. But especially when it comes to ancient Warfare. We often glamorize it, we kind of fictionalize it, and even romanticize it. And thanks to Hollywood, who have helped us with movies such as Braveheart. I had to get that movie in there. I love that movie, Braveheart. And of course, Gladiator as well. But even on Hollywood's best day, there is no way to take us into the world of ancient warfare. Unfortunately, of course, it's something that most of us Will never have to get close to. It was brutal. I think it's the appropriate word. It was absolutely brutal the times in which David lived in. But we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 17. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to grab those out or your smart devices. The scriptures will also come up on the screen as we work through this. But 1 Samuel chapter 17, let's read. It says this, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. And drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, which... Uh, it's, it's around about nine and a half feet tall and so that is massive nine and a half foot tall his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel why do you come out and line up for battle? am I not a Philistine? and are you not the servants of Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words... Saul and all the Israelites were... Say these two words with me. They were dismayed and terrified. Dismayed and terrified. How's our world coping at the moment? A lot of our world is living in those two spaces, aren't they? And so Goliath came out day after day. In fact, for weeks on... And Israel needed a champion, just as Goliath is described in this story as the champion of the Philistines. And so they looked to the king for a couple of reasons. The first reason, of course, well, he was the king, but also they looked to King Saul because King Saul was, in fact, the tallest man in Israel. And uh, that was very much the part of the reason he was chosen to be king. Of course, he was handsome, uh, the scriptures teach us, but also it teaches us that he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And so while Saul looked the part, he was not a good king. And so when the giant walks into the valley and challenges the armies of Israel, you look to the tallest guy and they place their hope in the king and they waited and they waited and waited for the king to come out of his tent to challenge Goliath. And this is where our story kind of begins to intersect with this story. Because here's what's true of you and me, don't you think? That we place our hope in what we depend on. Let me go a little bit further. We place our hope in who we depend on. You see, when the person we place our hope in disappoints us, often the measure of our hope becomes the measure of our anger or our disappointment. And so here's King Saul, the king, the one in who they looked to, the one who they relied on, is noticeably missing. And because of that, his credibility kind of slips away as each day passes and there is no response. And as his credibility fades, the army's hope also died. Now, by the way, by the way, there's something important that we need to know in regards to this idea of having a king, because God never really wanted Israel to have a king. You see, God wanted Israel to look to him as king because God knew that wherever you place your trust, that's where you place your hope. And God wanted Israel to place their hope totally and utterly in him. Now, there's a word for this, and I kind of like this word. It's the word theocracy. Let's just talk about that for a moment, because this is what God established Israel as, as a theocracy. It's a nation of laws administered by judges. That's what a theocracy is. That's, this is where God would be king, that God would give the law, and judges would administer that law. And that's how a nation would go. And by the way, if you're interested, um, there's seven nations who consider themselves in today's world under a theocracy. Seven nations, how about that? That one's for free, take that one and uh, enjoy that little bit of information. But anyway, this put Israel ahead, of course, of, of everyone else in the world. This idea, but the model that they had seen the model in fact what they grew up with of course in egypt um everyone had a king and this is this is just what you did and eventually as they looked around they decided they needed a king and they complained to their leading authority and at the time it was a prophet by the name of samuel samuel and uh, this was a few years before Goliath. So let's just go there for a moment in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1, and uh, we'll see how we go. Let's open a few verses here 1 Samuel chapter 8, and this is Samuel. So when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's judges, as the leaders. He was replacing himself. Uh, With his sons, so but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So what we're dealing with here is um, is corrupt judges. It goes on. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, "You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways." now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have but when they said give us a king to lead us this displeased Samuel so he prayed this is a pretty good thing isn't it he prayed he prayed to the Lord about this verse 7 and the Lord told him listen to all that the people are saying to you it is not you they have rejected. But they have rejected me as their king. Because what God's saying here is, I established Israel in such a way that I would be their king, and they would be my people. And so Samuel he's saying, is that they're not rejecting you. They're in fact, rejecting me as as their king. The story goes on. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly. Warn them and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. In other words, let people know that this isn't going to be as easy as they think. This isn't going to be as easy as simple as they think because if you have a king, you've got to remember he's going to tax you. He's going to take a percentage of your crops. He's going to take a percentage of your herds. Uh, He's going to recruit your sons. He's going to force your daughters to serve him. And he's going to claim the best land. Yet, in spite of all these warnings that were coming their way, they insisted, we want a king. Like every other nation, we want a king. And the interesting thing about this is that their insistence set the stage for an incredibly detailed account of the story of king david and of course david like the other characters we've talked about in this series leads to the greatest character of all king jesus but david is a part just a part of the story and so, of course, David comes in as Israel's second king after King Saul. And arguably, David was the Israel's greatest king, not because he was a perfect man, not because he was a perfect king, because as we'll see, there was something in him that was reluctant, but also confident and also very humble. And so unlike the typical king, David, in fact, loved the law. He loved the law. Kings typically didn't love the law. In fact, kings, in fact, they loved to be the law. And so when a king uh, broke the law, they would adjust it, uh, the law, to match the words of the king. Yet throughout David's reign, we find that he He loved the law, even when the law condemned him. And instead of adjusting the law, which most kings would do, David allowed himself to be broken, to be broken over God's law. And of course, throughout the Psalms, um, he declares uh, his love for God's law because he believed, he believed that Israel's law was the law that God had given to the nation and with that kind of conviction within his life it provided him with extraordinary clarity as king and that's what he led out of throughout his imperfect reign he was never confused about the identity of Israel's true king and he was never confused about his limited role within god's far greater bigger story because the king is yet to come and so in spite of david's popularity in spite of david's talent his success and his power he was never ever confused About this, and for many of us, this is not the case, is it? When success comes our way, how do we handle that? Because so so often, success can confuse us a little bit of success, and the next thing we know is that we're actually sitting on the throne of our own. Lives, and once we're on the throne of our lives, we start to place our hope in us because remember we place our hope in the one we depend upon the most. And so, here's David, the king the king of Israel. He never made that mistake. And we kind of catch a glimpse glimpse here as a 15-year-old shepherd boy who's trying to stay out of the way of his older brothers who fought for King Saul. And so let's go back to the story here for a moment. As we remember 1 Samuel 17, where Saul and all the Israelites, there were two things. Remember those two things? They were dismayed and terrified and so while this was going on 15 year old David shows up like a curious teenager would he makes his way to the front of the line and he hears Goliath himself he hears his speech and he responds instead of being dismayed and terrified David was offended deeply offended And he hears that Saul is looking for a champion to fight Goliath. And he begins to ask a few questions. And we pick the story up in verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies?" Of the living God. Those couple of words, the uncircumcised Philistine, actually meant that Goliath was outside of the covenant of God. He was outside of the protection of God. That's what that means. So Goliath and the Philistines were trying to take land from a nation promised by God. And so David kind of stands up to t- up to this and he says who does he think he is and why hasn't someone done something about this before and so word gets back to Saul and that somebody's finally raising their hand and say count me in for what will possibly be their last day on this planet and so Saul the scriptures teach us sends for David he wants to speak with David and so David walks in and speaks with Saul and immediately we can imagine the disappointment on Saul's face that sense of this is, this is no soldier he has no scars, he has no wounds he has no history, this is a boy and of course he discovers that David is a shepherd in fact the younger brother of three of Saul's veteran soldier and David tries to explain and sees and senses within Saul He says, right, yes, I am only a shepherd. I have no military experience and I have no weapons. Verse 34, we pick the story up. But David said to Saul, this is David, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. You see, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because, not because I'm a soldier, not because I have any military experience, but because... He has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. That's bold, isn't it? That's, that's so courageous. And, but it's also not confusing for David. He wasn't confused about this because he sees it in a way that, in fact, no one else saw it. Not even Saul saw it like this and it was this that an enemy of God's people is an enemy of God that Goliath is defying God and so David David reigned as king for 40 years And with him during that reign, he carried this assumption with him that the man or woman whose hope is in the Lord need not fear, even when there's something to be afraid of. David puts his hands up and he says, Pick me, pick me, choose me and later he'd become king and uh, he was a writer and a psalmist and a poet and he wrote songs and of course throughout the psalms we read an incredible amount of his writings and of course we not only have what he did in scripture or what he said but through the psalms we get inside his mind We get inside his emotions and what he's thinking about. And it's an incredible privilege to do that. But let's go there right now. Let's go to Psalm 25. Because there's something very special about this Psalm of David. Not just for history, but even for now. He says in Psalm 25 verse 1, In you... Lord my God, I put my trust. Not in his talent, not in his power, not in his influence or even in his ability. And what I like about David with this is that this posture that David carried with him was very much God's desire for the entire nation. But they just wouldn't stay there. They wanted a king. But it's in their second king, David, that they found a man who understood the perspective that God wanted the entire nation to maintain. That's verse 1. Let's go to verse 3 in Psalm 25. It says, this is David, No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. And then he goes on and he writes something that kings don't generally write. They don't generally embrace. And he writes this in verse five. He says, guide me. But David, you're the king. Guide me. That's his prayer. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God my savior and my hope is in you all day long powerful words aren't they powerful words and maybe we in this season we could take those exact same words as a community as a church as individuals as connect groups as God's people together in community here at Door of Hope Christian Church. And in this season, how about we we take those words and, and in faith we say those words to you. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let's just go back to the script, if we could. Because we have this 15-year-old, clear-eyed, confident, yet humble, David, who makes his way down to the valley of Elah. And you can only imagine both sides of the Philistines who realize, ha, this is a boy. There's got to be some kind of joke, doesn't he? He has no armor on. And, so, and also then you've got King Saul's soldiers who kind of say the same thing, and he's meant to be a representative of the army of Israel. And Goliath made this deal that if we lose... We become your servants. There's a lot, there's a lot hanging on this. And so Goliath repeats these threats, and David waits and he looks at Goliath. He says, You come to me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you, David says, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Let me point you to, to your future, he kind of says. And he says, I will strike you down and I will feed the carcasses of the host of the Philistines. This day to birds of the air and the birds of the field, the whole earth would know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands and David killed him killed him instantly David became the most popular person in the nation of Israel he became the most feared man among the Philistines and by the way the story would go on that the Philistines made the most tragic decision And they decided to turn and run. And the slaughter, the slaughter lasted all day long and it would have been brutal. And so here's what David did David simply did what King Saul failed to do because David saw something that King Saul could not see. And so it is with those whose hope is in the Lord they see clearly they act confidently and they walk humbly they recognize that they cannot control outcomes because there are too many variables outside of their control you see people who walk humbly with God wake up each and every day and realize I simply cannot control outcomes. I cannot control what's going on in this world at the moment. And so instead, these kind of people, they lean in to the weight. They lean their weight into and of their life against the one who has the whole world and all the variables into his hands. And they declare with David each and every morning in you lord my god i put my trust my hope is in you all day long could you imagine waking up tomorrow morning and declaring that in your life for your family for our church and for the community maybe when that success kind of comes your way and all eyes are on you, and maybe you're facing your Goliath or a pandemic of sorts, you could repeat those words each and every morning for the season for which we are in, that in you, Lord my God, I put my trust, my hope is in you. Not in me. My hope is in you all day long. Let me wrap up by saying this. David was Israel's greatest king. Yes, an imperfect man, an imperfect king, absolutely flawed. But never ever throughout his reign did he he turn his back on the law of God. Because as king, as king, he never confused himself with the king with the king of kings why because his hope as king was in the king of kings and lord of lords and what was yet to come in you lord my god i put my trust my hope is in you all day long and david just like these other characters we've talked about and shared about abraham moses joshua and now david is leading us into the new testament there's so much more of course that goes on leading us to the messiah and we'll be sharing that in a couple of weeks time just after mother's day